0: Well, hello again. My name is Michael. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I look forward to doing so soon. Um, And Merry Christmas again. Oh, thank you for that. It's uh, a bit of a dreary day to be celebrating Christmas, but I think that's actually a great image for what we'll dive into this morning. We might really love to have a Dickens-like, perfect kind of Christmas to celebrate and welcome Jesus into the world But then real life and rain and 70 degrees happens in December, and it throws off our plans and our hopes. So let me begin by asking you a question. What do you do when you're uncomfortable? When I turned 30, I began to feel uncomfortable in some new ways. My relatively unbridled youth up until that point began to slip away from my grasp and As if my body had had a timer set to the year 30, I began waking up with a pain and stiffness in my neck that was making it difficult for me to fully turn my head around while driving the car, and some of my friends, and I think my wife, started to call me Frankenstein. Dismayed at this turn of events, I followed my discomforts to the chiropractor for the first time, which was a major concession for somebody who was definitely not getting old. They fixed my neck. They promptly sold me a $150 Swedish pillow, which is larger on one side than on the other side, so that my head could be gently nestled into its center while supporting my neck no matter what position I was sleeping in. And it worked. Now, through each night, I can attentively listen to the other discomforts of my body, (laughs) which can apparently no longer lay in one position for the whole night. I can follow the discomforts of my back as I twist and turn, all while making provision for my neck, accordingly, with this double-stuffed Swedish pillow. What do you do when you're uncomfortable? We listen to our discomforts, and we take action accordingly. But do we give ourselves the same license to be attentive to the discomforts of our emotions, our urges, our desires, our patterns, our souls, our faith? In an insightful piece in the November issue of The Atlantic, a man called Ayad Akhtar brushed up against this question. Now, he was writing on the impacts of artificial intelligence on humanity, but I think you'll see the greater import here. He says, We may not notice that there is less and less time passing between the touches of our phone. Every 15 minutes? That was so 2018. We're in 2021, and the urge to reach out for our screen now feels like a rightful impatience with boredom of any sort. It creates a syllogism that goes like this. Something is wrong if nothing is happening. Something is always happening on this screen. Nothing is wrong when I'm on this screen. He goes on to say, the habit of succumbing to the syllogism, daily, hourly, minutely, charts a course into an undiscovered country of distrust. Here's the point. Distrust of interior discomfort, whatever its texture. I don't know this man's faith perspective, but I think it actually lends itself to the point because this is so insightful. I believe so often we drown out our interior discomforts. We distrust our interior discomforts, and in so doing, I believe we allow the robustness of Christian faith to begin to wither. Our gospel reading this morning gives us three images of uncomfortable faithfulness. Through them we're encouraged to notice our discomforts, dare I say, to trust them to a degree. Because as we will see, this is what's necessary for human flourishing, for receiving Jesus's kingdom, and for realizing our vocations as members of that kingdom. So let's begin by looking briefly at these three vignettes of faithfulness. Mary and Joseph, Simeon, and the prophetess Anna. Mary and Joseph first, suffice it to say, they were faced with some challenging circumstances as Jesus came into their family. Mary had to explain her pregnancy to Joseph. Joseph had to explain Mary's pregnancy to his friends. Oh, sure, Joseph, miraculous conception from the Lord. This could not have been easy. This was only the tip of the iceberg. The social stigmas of a small town paled in comparison to the extremely bad timing for a mandated census journey resulting in a birth on the road which is not as romantic as it sometimes can be today. Then the rest of their journey became a postpartum journey, which does not make things easier. We can lose sight of the fact that this Christmas story is gritty and hard and riddled with opportunities for Mary or Joseph to throw out their hands and get off this disorienting ride. But they did not downplay their situation, nor did they run away from it or hunker down to try to fix it themselves. What did they do? They received their challenges, and though they did not know exactly where it would lead them, they faithfully carried them into the presence of the Lord in the temple. And there, through their struggles, they received not a holy pat on the back for grin and bearing it, but in the many textures of their inner discomforts, they were able to receive an unusual blessing from the Lord over their family. When they arrived at the temple, they were immediately greeted with a massive hug from Simeon and prophetic words that would continue to inform who Jesus really was ongoingly. King, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. It was in the very place of their greatest discomforts that they received an outpouring of the kingdom of God. Now let's look at Simeon. His song in our passage is paired in our evening prayer liturgy with Mary's song that Seth preached on a couple weeks ago. These are two expressions of joy at the reception of Jesus the Savior. If you were to go hear a choral even song, our evening prayer set to music, you'll hear Mary's song usually composed with more exuberant major key tones. Simeon's joy, however, is often minor key set, and it always has something of a weary tone about it. Simeon has carried a very pregnant prophecy with him, though we don't know for how long. What we do know is that, as our passage says, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The weary tone of Simeon's song comes from the sense that Simeon had waited long for Jesus to come. And this is perhaps confirmed by his opening line, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Depart in peace, Jewish shorthand, for dying at a ripe old age. Imagine the waiting years, the many trips to the temple just to see if today was the day, and the disappointment when it wasn't. He knew the Savior was coming, but had his confidence grown thin? Would he have told his friends what he had heard? Was the social pressure growing as his hair grew more gray and his face more wrinkled? Had he heard wrong? Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, as our passage says. And Israel was certainly in a dire place. Occupied by Roman forces, not having heard from the Lord for centuries, so many faithful Jews had fallen away from faithful waiting, either attempting to make the Lord's kingdom come by violent force or by giving up on it altogether. But Simeon received the discomfort of waiting. let that discomfort drive him into the temple, who knows how often, daily maybe, and therefore into the presence of the Lord. Let's also be aware as we're looking at Simeon that Luke practically trips all over himself to make sure that we know Simeon is led by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's sensitive to the voice of God, even with the discomfort and struggle of waiting. On this day, Drawn to the temple by the Spirit, as our passage says, Simeon somehow recognizes the divine in Jesus. Through the struggle of carrying such a weighty prophecy for Lord knows how long, Simeon is one of the first to hold, bless, and grasp onto Jesus, the Lord's Savior. So it was the specific place of greatest discomfort for Simeon, which drove him into the presence of the Lord where ultimately he would receive the Lord's blessing and outpouring of his kingdom. Lastly, Anna the prophetess. We hear Anna's story and it's easy to connect with the pain and discomfort of it. She enjoyed a marriage to her husband for only seven years before he died. She's now 84 years old and was never able to remarry as the law urged young Jewish widows to attempt. If she had been married under normal circumstances, this means that she lived as a widow for around 50 years, and at that time, this put her on the margins of society in many ways. But she who was on the margins of society received this station and faithfully brought it into the presence of the Lord. As our passage says, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And on this day, she would receive the Lord's blessing clearly in the person of Jesus. This was somebody who especially longed for the redemption of the Messiah. But notice how long she had been coming to the temple. This was not a quick consolation that she received. But this posture of humility somehow produced a sensitivity to the Lord that allowed her to recognize him in this small baby. Having heard Simeon's prophecy, Anna became one of the first preachers of the good news of the Lord's Messiah. And in this way, she received blessing in the very place of her greatest discomfort. Three images of faithfulness amidst difficult and uncomfortable circumstances. And for each of them, in receiving their discomforting situations, they were driven into the presence of the Lord where the blessing of God's kingdom came in and through those specific places of discomfort now you don't have to be a christian to recognize the good of being emotionally honest about your circumstances and as christians this is more than just a spiritual discipline that we can take or leave what do you do when you're uncomfortable for luke the answer involves our very vocation as followers of jesus because there is something about our gritty and faithful honesty before the Lord that provides fertile ground for kingdom healing in this world and in us. In these stories, Luke paints for us the very quality of the kingdom of God in our posture as its citizens. Our vocation as Christians is to regard our discomforts, bring them to the Lord, and to receive an outpouring of His blessing Why? Because our vocation is the vocation of an exiled people. When we become followers of Jesus, we make an entirely new allegiance. Jesus is king, and so we build for his kingdom, not for our own personal kingdoms, not for the Roman or the Jewish kingdoms of the day, not for the kingdom of America or the kingdom of a globalized world, nor for the myriad other kings that we tend to allow to rule over our hearts. Jesus is king, and that is good news. When we follow Jesus, we become exiles in this world, but not exiles who are against the world, exiles who are seeking the greatest good of the world through the rule of its true creator, Those kingdoms are not always at odds with the kingdom of Jesus, but oftentimes they are. And it's not always predictable when, where, and how that will happen, which is why we practice this careful regard for our discomforts. This is our vocation as exiles, that when the kingdom of God and any of the kingdoms that we might live in are at odds, we should expect to feel the discomfort of that tension It's when we feel too comfortable, this side of Jesus returning, that something is amiss. The kingdom that Luke is painting for us is not a triumphalistic kingdom, though it will triumph in the end for good. Rather, until Jesus comes again, God's kingdom comes through those places of tension and through his followers who are practiced in noticing them. It's why this is our vocation. We must bring our discomforts to the Lord because we need, the world needs, the blessing of a good, loving, just, and beautiful kingdom which is breaking into this world now in part. This does not mean that it will be instantaneous, and oftentimes it takes long seasons of bringing something to the Lord. But we are commissioned to pray along with the psalmist. How long, O Lord? How long until something changes? It also does not mean that it'll be easy. Notice that none of our three protagonists lived as the fairy tales would have it happily ever after. Neither is receiving Jesus and his kingdom a promise to avoid suffering and discomfort. If anything, opportunities to carefully regard our discomforts will only increase as citizens of a foreign land. But receiving our exilic reality does mean that we can expect greater fullness of life. Even in the midst of pains and discontent and ruts and suffering, Jesus and his kingdom are the fullest, truest, most beautiful thing that any of us can hope for. There's something especially kingdom-shaped in bringing our most discomforting things to the Lord, because it is the humble posture of trusting our King. This is what Jesus gets at in his Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the poor, or blessed are those who mourn, the meek, the lowly in spirit. He's not saying that we should all seek out ways to become poor or grief-stricken. Rather, it's through people and circumstances like this that the kingdom of God tends to come most clearly. Those of us who have suffered in this church will know this to be true. There is a depth and a knowledge of the Lord that can only come through our most uncomfortable seasons. As we follow Luke's pattern, we can expect fullness of kingdom life to grow because we are leaning into our vocation. I wish there was an equation that I could give to assure kingdom consolation in seven days or less. But Luke gives us stories, not equations, And this is as dynamic as the relationship each of us has with Jesus. It's this relationship, not an equation, that is at the core of Christian faith. We may no longer have the temple as the center of the Lord's presence. We have a greater reality that the temple always pointed forward to, the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. And so now, through prayer, we bring this pattern into the small moments of our day-to-day life. We can take a cue from Jesus, who himself was filled with the Holy Spirit and approached his Father in that way. You regularly see him going off to spend time with his Father. And you see him, for sure, receiving his incredibly uncomfortable calling and bringing it in honesty before the presence of the Lord. Father, take this cup from me. Certainly, the kingdom would come decisively through his work on the cross. And we would, he would know blessing as he ransomed his beloved, us, from the grave. But it would come through great suffering. And in this way, it is only through him and his work on the cross that we can approach the Lord confident enough to worship him or to wrestle with him, or both. Following that kind of king, we become exiles, and now, outposts of the kingdom for the healing of this world as we allow ourselves to notice where something doesn't feel quite right, to receive our suffering without pretense. We don't have to pretend like it's not that bad or to long for a situation to be different because it is the very longing of our king himself. As we practice this kind of careful regard, whether for worldwide injustices or for dissatisfaction with our own choices, we can instantly bring it into the presence of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. This is why we gather in small groups to learn together and to have faithful discussions about our actual lives together, how they're being shaped by our faith, listening all the while for what discomforts the Holy Spirit is inviting us to bring into his presence. This is why it's such a gift here at Village to have a pastoral counselor at The Ready, Beth, our deacon, and to have a clergy team, each one of us who cares so deeply about pastorally coming alongside of all of us here at Village, to understand and tease out our discomforts. Sometimes we only recognize that they're there on a gut level, and we need help teasing them out. So don't hesitate to reach out to any of us for these conversations, because we do this very thing with one another and we expect that you're doing it amongst yourselves as well. It's also why we run Alpha, where we invite the most discomforting questions that you or your friends might be carrying, because we believe that doing this can actually lead more deeply into the heart of the Lord, whether it's somebody outside of the faith or inside of the faith. This is a practice that we can all commit to. The more we do these things, the more it will expand our stream of ongoing conversation with Jesus. Speaking, listening, hoping, taking issue with the Lord, because Christian faith is an actual relationship. This is what we mean by prayer, not a dressed up facade of language to prove our worth, but gritty conversations about reality with the Lord. When we do this, we can expect our posture towards our discomforts to change rather than allow them to define us. This is not to minimize them, but in doing the humble work of bearing them to the Lord regularly, we're reminded over and over again that we are beloved children of God and not the sum of our struggles and discomforts. How many times must Simeon have come into the temple weary only to tell the Lord, I just don't feel like looking for the Messiah today? How often might he have seen a friend fall away from the faith because life without the Messiah had gotten just too hard? Maybe he had been tempted to join one of these more violent Jewish revolts in an attempt to jumpstart the coming of the Messiah. But over the years, he allowed himself to be carried into the presence of the Lord by the very same spirit that now lives in each and every one of us who call Jesus Lord. If we do this, It means that we will become a people who are not afraid to be honest with God and with one another when we're walking through a difficult season in life. We need not be afraid when we notice something dissatisfying in how we relate to our kids or our spouse or our coworkers or our friends or our in-laws. We can have a holy noticing about these things. It means that when we confess together in a few minutes, And when we confess and apologize to one another interpersonally, however painful and destructive that confessed thing might be, we can do so with increased expectation that the Lord will bless us as we turn to him and bring the power of his kingdom to bear on that situation. It means that we will become a people who no longer preach a false kingdom of false peace, which many falsely do in the name of Jesus. Rather, we participate in expanding a true kingdom that breathes new life into the gritty reality of our world, especially to those who are suffering. If we settle for the false kingdom of false peace, we are on the fast track to spiritual breakdown because it's a spirituality of self-sufficiency and it's a facade. It will not hold up when more difficult realities of life come up. But when we lean into our vocation as exiles for the Lord, We live a three-dimensional faith, which is unafraid to wrestle with the Lord. The world needs to learn how to wrestle faithfully and honestly with its creator. It does not need another lesson in facade building. It shouldn't surprise us that in the end, the kingdom of God comes through the sometimes hard and always humbling work of spending time with the Lord. It's humble work, And it brings us again and again to that posture where we first received Jesus, being needy and being loved. This is the life of receiving Jesus, day in and day out. What do we do when we're uncomfortable? Your greatest flourishing and the life of this world depends on how the Lord's children and his kingdom citizens answer that question. So let me pray for us. Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to those places of our greatest discomforts and discontents, and empower us and give us the courage to bring them before you. Lord, shape us more and more into the image of your Son in this way. We invite you here with us, and even any of those things that are coming to mind now, any of those places of discomfort, Father, would you not let them fall away from our minds? Would you press into them and invite us to press into you? We pray with great expectation in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.